0: in him. Father, we also thank you this morning for Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the salvation by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We thank you, Father, for providing for us as you say in your word. We also pray this morning, Father, for the church as a body, and we pray particularly for those suffering and that be in any place but especially where the christians being persecuted we ask now father for the holy spirit's guidance and direction as we continue to commune in your word we ask this in the name of jesus christ our lord by the power of the holy spirit amen well again good morning everybody um things are definitely improving when it comes to the COVID situation in south florida Um, I do look at a report on hospital utilization and it's it's fantastic. It's down by 20 percent in less than a week. Um, We're expecting that trend to continue. And as a result, we have decided that we will resume our gathering in person next Sunday, next Sunday, September 12th. And because of that, we are not going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, but we're going to celebrate it next Sunday. September 12th, when we'll be gathered together, when we're back together. All right, let's begin this morning with the message from the Gospel of John. The title of today's message, get it up here, there we go. You have words of eternal life, spoken by the Apostle Peter to our Lord Jesus Christ. When it seemed like almost everybody who had been following him no longer did. And Father, we just, uh, we ask you, Father, this morning that we would again understand in these principles. And the the Lord is now turning from dealing with and teaching about he himself is the bread of life. And the focus this morning is going to be on his words, on his words. And we'll see that as we go along today. Alrighty, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 60. John, chapter 6, starting in verse 60. And I will read this passage. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who would not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of his twelve, was going to betray him. In today's scripture passage, Jesus, having finished his discourse on himself as the bread of life, now addresses the reaction of his audience to what he said. In verse 60, it, say, it says that when his disciples heard this, they said this is a difficult statement. In particular, that refers to when Jesus Christ said that unless you eat my body and my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they said it was a difficult statement. His words were jarring to most of his audience. They were scandalous and offensive, as we've seen. And, and the root of it is what he, Jesus speaks of in verse 64. There are some of you who do not believe. And imagine this, that Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. What a weight to carry. And who it was who would betray him, Judas. And he was saying, for this reason, the reason, because there are some that would not believe. I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Okay, so that's the setting for today. That is the main message for today. From here on, from verse 60 on, this, the rest of chapter 6 is going to center on Christ as the giver of words, of words. And, and that is perfect because he is the word of God. He is the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the word who became flesh, and all those who believed in him beheld his glory. But today, we're going to learn something else about the words of Christ, something solemn and something that we all need to take to heart. And that is that the words of Christ separate people. They separate people. They divide people into two camps and they're marked by the way that they respond to Christ's words. See, how do they respond to Christ's words? You see, there were many grumblers in that audience as Jesus spoke. Grumblers are really unbelieving. And these grumblers refused to consider what he had to say. Now, why? The reason that ultimately that they wouldn't even listen to what he had to say is because they didn't want to face the implications of what he said. How do they respond to Christ's words? That is the whole question. So it really boils down to this. They could not accept that Jesus was who he said he was. That's the the root of all of this. They would not accept that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus was the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the Son of the Father. That Jesus brings living water. All the different things that Jesus said about himself. that That the Father has given all judgment to him, God the Father. And all of these things, they would not accept any of it. They just refuse to accept that Jesus is who he said he is. Because once you accept that, then every word that comes out of his mouth are words from God and words from eternal life. And once you accept that he is who he says he is, now you have to come to terms with what he has to do in order to save us. And what that says about us as being sinful, as being wretched, we were all born dead in our trespasses and sins, There's none righteous, not even one. They couldn't accept that. And therefore they wouldn't listen to him. And yet that question, who is Jesus? That is, remember, the whole point of John's gospel. And what we're seeing here is that John is very straightforward in presenting the two responses to Jesus' words. And who he is. And so at the same time, we see this amazing flowering of who he is and who he's been for all of eternity and what he means for all mankind, that he he will give up his flesh for the life of the world. We then we then see this unexpected, perhaps at first this reaction and the reaction goes in two directions. And the more forceful one is the reaction against him and against his words. The Gospel of John is a series of encounters between people and Jesus. Some turn out well; many don't turn out well. We have the encounter with, with with John the Baptist, an amazing encounter, and then we have the encounters with the first apostles, and that was amazing. But then we then see also that we have a Jesus has an encounter with the, those in the temple who are who are selling and buying and. And then he has a bad encounter with them. He has an encounter with the crowds in Jerusalem who followed him, but he didn't trust in them because he knew what was in them. We see an encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus, when Nicodemus totally didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. We, so we see again and again, we see the encounter in chapter 4 between Jesus and the woman at the well, and Jesus and all the men coming down this, the, the hills to, to see him, and they believe in him. So again and again and again, this is what we see. And in chapter five, we see the amazing miracle that Jesus performs. A man who was unable to walk, he tells, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he did. It was a miracle. And yet, because he did it on the Sabbath, he got a terrible reaction from the leaders there, from the Pharisees and so forth. And so this is what we see again and again and again. Jesus presenting himself for who he is. And he does it in different ways, primarily through his words and through his works and then we see the positive reaction and the negative reaction and as we go along things will intensify the drum beat gets louder and louder and louder everyone is called to task and called to come down to that one question who is jesus do you believe that he is who he says he is and that drumbeat goes on it goes on through the through the through the hallways of history from the moment actually it's going on all the way since Adam and Eve and it's going to keep on going on that that question that's put in front of every person who is Jesus do you believe he is who he says he is every time a person encounters Jesus he or she faces a crisis see it's not all it's not all, you know, what we have now in terms of as believers. It's it's that crisis point when you're not a believer yet and you realize that you have to come to terms with who he is. They ask that question. Who are you? Now, they may not ask that directly to him. But that is what they're asking in their hearts. And here's the thing. If you say you are who you say you are, if you are who you say you are. In other words, they're saying saying this. They may not say it out loud, but they're thinking it. If you are who you say you are, Jesus, then everything I thought I knew about God was wrong. Everything I thought I knew about myself needs to change. Do I believe in him? Or do I put that lamp, that light under a basket and go my way? The words of Jesus bring each person. He is the light that enlightens every man. The words of Jesus bring each person to the fork in the road of their heart. Do I believe in him? Or do I put that lamp under a basket and go on my way? This, my friends, is the ultimate meaning of life. The meaning of life, there's just two things, two ways that you can see the meaning of life. One, the meaning of life is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If, If you don't see that, If you don't believe that, then the only other meaning of life is that there is no meaning to life. Nothingness, vanity, despair, ultimately. I'd like you to turn now to the gospel. John chapter three, verse 18. Go back to John chapter three, verse 18. And we'll see the meaning of life. And we'll see the challenge in that question in that fork in the road vividly described here. In John 3, 18, we've already seen this. Let's go back this morning and see it again. Now, the fork in the road is the question, who is Jesus? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Look at verse 18. Because he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the in the the name of the only begotten son of God. There's that fork in the road, and there's that choice between ultimate meaning that you participate in, ultimately eternal life, and then the alternative is that judgment and the meaninglessness and the despair of being under the wrath of God. There are two camps in the human race. In one camp, you have the ones who are living, and they believe in Christ, and they have eternal life. That is one camp. The other camp, they just exist, the ones who do not believe in Christ. You see, one camp lives, the other exists. The ones who have believed in Christ live and have life indeed, and eternal life. The ones who do not believe in Christ, they have no life in themselves, and they remain under the wrath of God. They have no life in themselves, and they remain under the wrath of God. I hope you can see how solemn this is. It's something that most, most people don't want to face, that, all, that there are these two camps. And there's one camp where everyone there lives, and they believe in Jesus Christ, and they have eternal life. That's one. The other one, they don't believe in Christ. They don't live. They exist, and they have no life in themselves, and they remain under the wrath of God. This is serious. This is a serious situation. This is this is the nature of being human, right? What camp are you going to be in for all of eternity? So there's the two camps and by the way there's no third camp. There's no there's no fence sitting here. You, you can't have one foot in the river and one foot on the on the shore. It's all, it's either one or the other. It's either one or the other. And again This is clarity from the Lord. The world wants to muddy everything and say, well, it's not quite that simple. And, well, you know, God would never do that. But, you know, and the world throws all of these distractions and attractions to try to keep people's minds off this issue. That, yes, there will be a judgment one day. And those who do not believe in Jesus are the ones who will be judged. In fact, they've been judged already and they will remain under the wrath of God. That's, that's a difficult statement in and of itself. And, then, and then not only does the world, you know, turn and recoil from that, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear anything about the cross of Christ. It's either foolishness to them or scandal, right? But even Christians don't want to face most Christians. If you talk about this, they'll either say, "Well, you know what? I I don't really want to say that to the unbeliever because it'll turn them off," or I don't want to think about it. But it's reality. It's the re- it's fact. It's the ultimate reality of being human. You either believe in Jesus Christ and His cross and resurrection, or you remain under the wrath of God and the judgment of God. So. And this is unmistakable in the Gospel of John. We saw it already. We see it in John 3.18. We see it in chapter 5 when the Lord talks about the the resurrection to life and the resurrection to judgment. We see it again and again and again and again and again, that drumbeat and the importance of understanding this essential difference between human beings, that the word ultimately divides people into these two camps. And there's no third camp. Please, let's go back now to John chapter 6. 6 verse 60, John chapter 6 verse 60, as we continue in our passage this morning. Therefore, many of his disciples, we're going to see what that word means in a moment. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I'll repeat it in a moment, but there's a difference between a disciple and a believer. Why? Because many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? They were unwilling to listen to the words of Jesus. There's a difference between a disciple and a believer. Verse 61, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. Remember, grumbling is an outward expression of unbelief here. They grumbled at this, and they said to them, does, and Jesus said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, yes, these words of mine, they're the truth, and you don't want to accept it. You don't want to accept who I am here on earth. Well, how about when, if you were to see me ascending to where I was before? Would that convince you? Or would that offend you even more? You See, now, before this point, the ones who were grumbling were the religious Jews, They were the ones who couldn't accept his words about that. He is the bread come down from heaven. And now, though, his own disciples are grumbling. In other words, they, too, ultimately reject his words. Not all of them, but the large majority of of those who had been his disciples now cannot accept what he has to say. Now, disciples, the word simply just means a follower. It means somebody who decides to follow a teacher. They can follow for a while and then go and find another one. I mean, they were disciples of John the Baptist, and then they became disciples of Jesus. What did that mean? It meant they were following John, and then they started following Jesus. Now, some disciples will follow up to a point. They'll be with them for a while, but as soon as there's something that they don't understand or bothers them, When they have to, oh, there's something else more important to them, they leave. Only a few stay to the end. And I want to emphasize this. This is not talking about eternal salvation. That's not the issue for disciples. The issue for disciples is will they continue to follow him or not? And and by and large, disciples, that term is used when Jesus Christ is on earth primarily. It was those who followed him. Now, that the word is used in other places. Paul uses it, but for the same purpose. Those who followed him. See, there's a difference between being a disciple and being a believer. You can be a disciple and not be a believer. You can be a disciple and not be a believer. Okay. If you're a believer, then you are more than a disciple, especially in the church age. So there are people who follow Jesus that don't believe in him. And disciples, certainly not the same thing as being a member of the body of Christ. We're not disciples. We're saints. That's an important difference. Because it, because the, the, the nature of being a saint far, far exceeds the nature of being a disciple. Again, a disciple with those who followed him on earth. Now, as a member of the body of Christ, he's in us. He indwells us. We're, we're in union with him. We are in Christ. We 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 are children, the sons and daughters of the living God. We've been adopted. We have eternal life. We'll never lose that eternal life. We have been given a spiritual gift. We are members of one of another. We have the Spirit indwelling that goes far beyond those people who were, who were following him as he went from town to town, disciples. That's so important. Now now you have disciples, and then you have the twelve apostles. See now some disciples split off and weren't going to follow him anymore and never really listen to him and believe what he was saying. But then you have a subset of disciples who, by and large, did believe in him. I say that because even among the apostles, even among the 12, there will be a division. The words of Christ divide into those two camps and many grumble at him. And again, we see here that Jesus will never placate the grumblers. He won't back down. He won't say, "Gee, maybe I was being a little hard on them." Let me try to let me try to sort of conciliate and 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 dilute my words. Never, never. And they see the same thing here. By the way, it's after Jesus said he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. See, there were people grumbling about that. What did that mean? I mean, if you're a believer, if you listen to that, you, you, you understand what he's really saying. He's saying, listen, eating my flesh and drinking my blood, that has to do with you believing who I am, believing in me and my death and resurrection on your behalf of, of, of accepting me as who I am. And then you have eternal life, and the Father, and Jesus will raise you up on the last day. That is celebration. If you're not believing His words, then you grumble. You grumble. You focus on the 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 merely human part of that, of thinking how how could I possibly eat flesh and drink blood? Totally missing that He's, as we saw last week, expressing it in a metaphorical way to show to show the intensity of what believing in Christ is all about. Remember earlier, he responds to the grumbling Jews by telling them that unless they ate his flesh and drank his blood, they had no life in them. Now, he tells these grumbling disciples to consider how they would react if they were to see him ascending into heaven. The drumbeat, the drumbeat, gets louder and louder. And Jesus is relentless with his words. He never waters them down. He says it exactly like it is, and he will say it. And and he will continue to say things that are offensive to those who don't believe or foolishness, one or the other. And again, the the drumbeat is is saying, do you believe I am who I say I am as I cross? Like as I go through the, the days and weeks and months and years in the gospel recorded by John. And Jesus comes across more and more people and he says it in all kinds of different ways. And but the always the issue is the same. Do you believe I am who I say I am? All right, let's continue now in John chapter 6, verse 63. John six sixty-three. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, are spirit and our life. Can you see now how he's, he's now, he's moving from what he had been talking about in terms of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And now he's moving into this place where he brings into view the spirit of God. And he's saying that these words that I have spoken to you, their spirit and their life, receive them that way. Because if you receive them that way, you realize that everything that comes out of this man's mouth, the God man is, is words of God, words that give life, words of the spirit. By the way, this is this, Jesus Christ, for the first time, brings up the spirit in this manner in the Gospel of John. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, always the issue, from Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Imagine bringing somebody into your inner circle and knowing all along, every day and when you're going there and you have the 12 and they're they're seeing all these things and they have been appointed to all these doing all these amazing things and yet among them one of them is a traitor and you know that and yet you leave him in place because the traitor is going to play an important role even though he himself will be damned but but he had there had to be one who would do what he was going to do in order for Jesus to be turned over the religious authorities and have those illegal trials and then go to the cross. He knew who would betray him verse 65. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. And I want to point out to you when he says, for this reason, you have to go back to. What he had said what he had said right before, you see, John is sort of editorializing or explaining when it went in that statement for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him but but let 's look at it in terms of what Jesus says without that as it were interruption, what John says you see if we read if we read sixty four the first part, but there are some of you who do not believe, and then go right to verse sixty five and he was saying for this reason. What is the reason? There are some of you who do not believe. Because there are some of you who do not believe, verse 65, I have said to you already that no one can come to me unless it has been granted them from the Father. So you don't want to, you don't want to take verse 65 out of context. The context is there are some who don't believe. And that's why Jesus tells them no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. We've seen that already. Please go back to John chapter 3. Let's look at verse six, because in verse, we just saw Jesus bringing up the subject between of the spirit and the flesh. This is not the first time that he has brought up that subject. He brought it up in his conversation with Nicodemus. When he told, he told him that you must be born again, and he was talking about born of the spirit. Notice John chapter three, verse six, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There are two births here. Everybody is born the first way. We're all born of the flesh. That means we were all born of of a woman. We we were all fallen. We We all became a member of this fallen race of humanity. And then there's a second birth that some but not all receive. That which is born of the spirit. That's a a spiritual birth. Not everybody is born twice. Just believers in Christ. So this is another way of describing those two camps. Those two kinds of human beings. There are only two. There are only two kinds of human beings. One are those who are born of the flesh only. They remain in Adam that means that Adam is the federal head of a kind of man. You look to the, the the origin and the fate, the destiny of this whole group of people, millions and billions, and all you have to do is look at their federal head and you know everything about them. That's Romans chapter 5, if you want to follow up on that. But there are only two kinds of human beings, those who are born of the flesh only in Adam and those who are born of the spirit after being born of the flesh in Christ. So there two, again that this here we see this division this split between humans who are born of the flesh only that's that's physical birth and those who are born of the spirit after being born of the flesh. And and here in Jesus is saying if you go back now to, let's go back now to John chapter 6 verse 63. And we follow along, we understand when he says these things that he's talking about two different kinds of humanity, two kinds of people. The one kind born of the flesh only, another kind born of the flesh and then born of the spirit. And notice John chapter six, verse 63 again. It is the spirit who gives life. See, the the whole question of the gospel of John is that who will receive life that is life indeed, that is abundant life, that is eternal life. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing, and the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. It's amazing to consider, but it shouldn't surprise us. After all, his father, through his son, created the universe with a word. And so the, the word of God is powerful. The word of God is is, is able to have a person who started the day in the flesh and ends the day in the spirit. It's amazingly powerful. But what is Jesus saying to his disciples here? What he's telling them is that it's impossible for you to believe as long as you only look at me according to the flesh. In other words, look to me, look at me as a fallen human being would look at me. That's what he's saying here. By the way, Paul brings up this very subject in Romans eight. Now he will bring it up, and he's talking about the the, the the believer in Christ in the church age. But the same principle holds. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter eight, verse five, where we're going to discover something about these two camps, about the nature of those born in Adam and the nature of those who are born again of the Spirit. Look at Romans chapter five of chapter eight, verse five. Romans chapter eight, verse five. And as always, we'll be going back to Gospel of John chapter 6. But for now, let's take a look at this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. I'm going to read a different translation because in this particular case, I apologize for this because it's going to make it a little more complicated. But the New American Standard, that doesn't do a good job of translating the key part of this. And so I'd like you to listen carefully to this translation. It happens to be the Darby Translation. Um, But but the the issue is that it's more faithful to the Greek. Now, verse 5, Romans 8, 5. For they that are according to flesh, mind the things of the flesh. This is the problem. You see, the ones who are according to the flesh, the far majority, the great majority of those who were in the audience listening to Jesus in that synagogue in Capernaum, they minded the things of the flesh. That's where their minds were at. They were no different than any other unbeliever. They were no different to the way that Adam saw things after he'd been expelled from the garden, according to the flesh. And they who are according to flesh mind the things of the flesh. It's all they can do. But, uh, but they that are according to spirit, the things of the spirit, there's that difference. It's a basic difference. There are those who's, who mind the things of the flesh are always thinking about the things of the flesh. Things of, things of natural humanity, things that everybody in the world thinks about, that they all see, their own priorities, the priorities of the world. And they that are according to spirit, the things of the spirit. What are the things of the spirit? Well, first, it's the words of eternal life. Those are the things of the spirit. The things of the spirit are the fruit of the spirit, love and joy. These, this is where those who are of the spirit, That's these. this is what their mind is like. Now, they don't always think that way. They don't always do, but that's what they're designed. We're designed for that. We've been we've been uh, made a new creation, and that new creation is totally different from the old one. Being in Christ, it, all things are new. The, the old things in Adam have passed away. Those who are according to spirit, the things of the spirit. They're thinking about the things of the spirit. Verse 6, this is where... I want you to listen carefully so that you hear a better expression of what, what is in the Greek. For the mind of the flesh is death. Notice it says that here, here that the flesh has a mind. See, that's missing. You don't pick that up in, in, the, in the New American Standard. Because it says the mind, what? Set on the flesh. See, it's one thing to think about a person setting their mind on the flesh. It's another thing to be taught that there is a mind of the flesh, that the flesh has its mind. The flesh thinks a certain way. The flesh has a mind that's limited to natural matters. The mind of the flesh, and that that mind is enmity against God. Or as as New American it says, death. The mind of the flesh is death. It's enmity against God. But the mind of the spirit, see, we've been given a new mind. We've been given a new heart, a new mind. And of course, our job, as it were, is to have our, our mind renewed. What does that mean? It's to have that new mind filled with the new things of the spirit, the words of God. The mind of the spirit is life and peace. And there are those two camps. If you, if you, if you remain captive to the mind of the flesh, then the, the end of the story is death. And that's, of course, death separated from God under his wrath. But if you have the mind of the spirit, now you have life, now you have peace, now you have rest. You understand that you've been redeemed and reconciled to God forever and you can't lose it. And that's how the mind of the spirit thinks. Verse seven, because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, for neither indeed can it be. The mind of the flesh itself is opposed to God. That is why, that is why that in and of yourselves, right, you may, you are dominated, but as an unbeliever, you're dominated by the flesh. You're unable to understand the things of God. Notice the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, or as it says, but the mind is hostile toward God, as it says in the New American Standard. And in the New American Standard, for it does not subject itself to the Lord of God. But see the this the translation Darby is better. See, it sounds like that there's a decision, doesn't it? In verse seven, for it's not either, it does not subject itself. In other words, decides not to. That's not the point. The point is that the mind of the flesh is not subject to the law of God, and it can't be. So that just shows you the impossibility of those who have that only have that mind of the flesh. It's impossible. For them to understand the things of the spirit. Verse 8. They that are in flesh cannot please God. That's why he tells them. His audience. In John chapter 6. Where he says. "The, The flesh profits nothing. You see that's why. Because the mind of the flesh. Is death. It's enmity against God. Anyone who's in the flesh cannot. Cannot please God. It's impossible. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit and they are life. That's why anybody who listened to Jesus and believed what he had to say, they they now see things in a spiritual manner. They understand what Jesus is talking about. In 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 a in a in a way looking down from heaven, a heavenly viewpoint, a heavenly viewpoint. Those that are of the flesh only have the earthly viewpoint, and and so that's that's the critical difference. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit and they are life. And once you believe that, you understand the truth that that no one lives on bread alone. That is why those who don't listen to the words that come from the mouth of God don't really live. Man does not live on bread alone. See, that's of the flesh. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's of the spirit. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit and they are life. You know, if his audience believed what he said, that Jesus is God's son. I want you to think about this. It, once you realize that, you know what, what this, what this person is saying is true. This, this person, this Jesus, he came from heaven He is God's son. Now, when you really believe that, let's think about it for our own lives. Let's think about people that we know. If you ask them, who's Jesus? And they're not a believer. What are they going to say? You know, they're going to say, well, maybe they're saying he was a Jew. He lived 2,000 years ago. Um, People say he was born miraculously. He lived a good life. He had some amazing things to teach. And, because he was a revolutionary, then the Romans put him to death, and all of that, you see, well, what's the problem? They don't believe that Jesus is god's son that's a that is a radical life-changing situation to believe that Jesus is God's son, and once that ha- happens, guess what you can you live on every word that comes from his mouth if you really believe that Jesus is God's son. You would live on every word that came from his mouth. Why not? Why not? I mean, talk about authority. Talk about knowledge. Talk about uh, who can you trust? The man from heaven. We're living on. And this is where, unfortunately, Christians have the same problem. What's the problem? It's not that they're not believers. It's that they lose touch with the reality that Jesus is God's son. They lose touch the reality that Jesus is the Word of God, and therefore everything that's in the Word of God is God breathed. And when we when we when we accept that, when we see things that way, then we too will live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So it's a challenge to us every bit as much as it is a challenge for those first words that the unbeliever hears, that are that are to believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as it is that day. When Jesus told him this, that his words were spirit and they were life, many of his disciples didn't accept it. Many of them, why? Because they did not believe that he was God's son. It's that simple. All right, let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Let's continue in verse 64. John, chapter 6, verse 64. And there he lays it out on the line. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning, from the beginning, who they were who did not believe, who they were who did not believe. His words are spirit in their life. And yet there are some who do not believe his words. And not only that, but Jesus knew from the beginning Imagine that again. Think about the weight of that. Think about the 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 uh, sadness. Is I don't know any way to put it. Jesus was sad at times. He, he wept, so he he must have been saddened and yet rejoicing at the same time. Meaning saddened for all those that he knew would not believe, but rejoicing for all those who would believe. And I think we can we can relate to that too. That the more we understand the real issue of life and the real issue is believing in Christ or remaining under the wrath of God, then we too grieve over a lot of people and we rejoice in some people as well. Those two camps that Jesus knew. And see, that's that's where, in a way, thank God we don't have that supernatural discernment, <laughs> because if we knew all of that, I wonder how we would live. I wonder if we could live with the weight of that. I wonder how that would affect our evangelistic efforts if we knew, right? Well, we don't know. And thank God we don't. I mean, as a human being, we, that's that's knowledge that is too wonderful as it were, too high for us to be able to deal with. But he did. He knew from the beginning Who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And you can see the the, the two betrayals, the two splits, the two divisions, the two separations, right? Among, Among his disciples, some believe, many don't. Among his apostles, all but one believe, but that other one would betray him. Verse sixty-five. For this reason, because there are some of you who do not believe, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. See, that's the same thing that 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 Paul is saying when he says, "Look, those who are of the flesh, that's you're you're at enmity with God. You cannot please God. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father." But always take the word of God in context. He's responding to the fact that he said, or or actually explaining more about what he said that some of you do not believe. For this reason, because there are some of you who do not believe. Let me explain what's going on here. No one can come to me unless it has been granted from the Father. But when Jesus looked out at his audience, when he looked into the eyes of each person, and you have to believe he did, he knew at that moment whether or not that person would believe in him but what what reveals that? Well straight back to the main subject today. The words that he spoke ultimately reveal who's who, whether or not a person would believe in him. It's based on the words it's not based on the it's really not, not based on the actions it's not based on their words. They said all kinds of great things about him at times until. He said something that they they just couldn't accept. So it wasn't their words, not their actions, his words. The words that he spoke ultimately reveal who's who, which camp each person is on. And that's because the word of God is the power. The word of God is a sword. Please turn to Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The words that Jesus spoke, the power of those words, the power of life and death, the power of eternal life is in the words. Why? Because they are spirit and they are life. And so and so we really ought to handle the word of God in the same way, that there's power here. And I've said this many times to you. When you. When you evangelize, the power is not in your mind and how clever you can be or how persuasive you think you are. That's all fleshly, folks. The power is in the word of God. The spirit convicts. The spirit gives life. The power is in the word of God. Therefore, we are to be accurate in, the po- in, in, in using the power. Accurate in expressing the word of God. Why? Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living. It's alive. It's active. It's powerful. But notice this part. Sharper than any two-edged sword. See, the word of God divides. The word of God makes things crystal clear. You, you, the young believer sees exactly what the situation is, exactly what the two outcomes will be, because the spirit convicts them right, of, of righteousness. The spirit convicts them of, of the things that matter, the judgment, the righteousness of God. And so the word of God itself is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. As far as the division of soul and spirit, what is that talking about? Well, it's talking about what we've been talking about, which is the difference between those who are born of the flesh and those who are born of the spirit. But it makes it clear. The Holy Spirit, through the who the words of the, of the word of God, of Christ, convicts the world of sin. That's an issue that a lot of people don't want to talk about either. But see, that's fundamental. Uh, unless you understand, you know, we were all born dead in our trespasses and sins, then you won't be able to fathom why it is that God would send his own son, who is the king of kings and the Messiah, and have him go to the cross and die. Why would that happen to the, to the Greeks? That was foolishness. How can you say that the most powerful king died on a, on a Roman cross, a death of a slave or a prisoner or a criminal? That's foolishness. To the Jews, it was scandalous that their king, their Messiah, that that would happen to him. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't accept the implications about who they were, even though Isaiah had told them a long time ago that this, this was going to happen. And for the same reason. He was there for our iniquities. The word of God is a sword for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword Piercing. As far as the division of soul and spirit, Jesus' words were piercing. And he said things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It pierced and set apart. It divided those who would believe those words and those who wouldn't. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the joints and the marrow. Now, Again, that's 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 what Jesus was doing, by the way, using a metaphor. Right? It's not saying that the that the word of God is an orthopedic surgeon, right? It's a metaphor. If you think about how do you separate the joints and the marrow, right? And 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 the the word of God is piercing because here's here's the bottom line, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was able to judge the thoughts and intentions of every heart of every person he ever met. And then verse thirteen. There is no creature hidden from his sight, from the Lord's sight, from God's sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we all have to do. And never forget that. We can't hide anything from the Lord. You know, we study in the book of Isaiah and uh, the folks that thought they were so wise in Hezekiah's court that they thought that they could make a deal with different foreign nations. Maybe it was the Egyptians. Maybe it was the Assyrians. But all things were laid bare. They wanted to hide that. They wanted to hide it from Isaiah. They, wanted, they thought they could hide it from the Lord. It's impossible. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him, God, with whom we have to do. But the point today is simple. The word of God divides people. How many of us have had that experience? How many of us had been somewhere and, and everyone's having a great time and all of a sudden we bring up Jesus. And it divides people. And most are in, this, are in the second camp. Let's just be honest. You know, I, 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 I have to do funerals from time to time. I always preach the gospel. And if there's, if there's 100 people there, you know, this always happens. There are two or three who come up afterwards and thank me for the message and the preaching. Most of the others file out. And they don't even want to look at me. <laughs> Why? Because the word of God divides people. You see it in families. Jesus said, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. He talked about about fathers and their children, brothers and sisters being divided by the word, by the word of God. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Why? Because the word of God is foolishness and an affront to the unbeliever. But to us who are living and believing, right, is the power of God. All right. Word of God divides people, and no word of God divides people more than the word of the cross. The word of the cross. You may be in a conversation with an unbeliever, and you're going to talk about Jesus, and they're uncomfortable. But as soon as you bring up the cross, then watch out, because that's when things really break loose. That's when you really see not you see, but that's really apparent to the Lord and to the person if they're paying attention and probably to their reaction whether or not they believe, whether or not they, they that they accept the word of the cross for what it is and what it means. Please turn to First Corinthians, chapter one, verse 18. First Corinthians, chapter one, verse 18. This explains it perfectly. This explains perfectly. Why Jesus was in front of that audience in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he got the reaction that he got that he got all those grumblers, and they first they started out with the religious Jews, and then the grumbling grew to also include most of his disciples why why it was after he said he's given his flesh for the life of the world, and that his body and his and his flesh rather and his blood would be would be shut would be shed and given up for the world, and that they need that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, meaning they had to believe in the cross where his body was broken and his blood was shed. Well, why does that divide? Why did it divide that crowd? Very simple. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in particular, it's the word of the cross that is the power of God. Hebrews said that the word of God is powerful. But the most powerful words for the unbeliever are the word of the cross. That truly divides people. That, that ultimately, the power there, they, they either embrace it or they are repelled by it. Okay. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So make no mistake, Jesus' words divided his audience in chapter 6. They came up with all the kind of things. We know your parents. We, uh, we, you know, we can't accept this teaching. What about Moses? But it was ultimately not those kind of things about him. It was his words. His words divided his audience in chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life, and I have come down out of heaven, and the Jews took offense. He said, the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And those same religious Jews disputed and grumbled. But then he said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And even most of his disciples turned against him then, saying, this is a difficult statement. Who can accept it? Who indeed? There's the question. Who can accept it? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, who can accept the truth of the of the, the word of the cross, that Jesus does give his flesh for the life of the world, that his blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins and set a new covenant. Who can believe that? I'll tell you who. Please go to John chapter one, verse 12. John chapter one, verse 12. This is a difficult statement. Who can accept it? Natural-minded person thinks nobody can. They think it's foolishness. Look at this guy now. Look what he's talking about. That's foolishness, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This guy's out of his mind, right? They can't accept it. It's too difficult for them. But you know what? There's another camp where it's simple to understand. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. By the way, that's the same thing that he says when he says no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father the right, the granting, the ability. He gave them the right to become children of God. Who? As many as received him. Who are they? Even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh as the flesh in its own will, its own mind, nor the will of man, but of God. Those of the people can listen to the statements of Jesus, no matter how shocking they may seem, no matter how little you really comprehend at the time, you can you can accept it because why? You were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You were born of God. You understand what it means for this man to come down from heaven because you are now born of God. You are the same as it were um, a viewpoint now, the spiritual viewpoint. OK, back to John chapter six and we will close this morning. John chapter six, verse sixty five. And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. In other words, the father must grant you the right to come to the Lord. And and we have to say, wait a minute. This is God, the creator, the sovereign. He knows everything. He's always known everything. He is loving, but he's righteous. And he is the one who who else would we want to be to grant that who can come to Jesus rather than his very own father who knows all things. And believe me, the father has his reasons for granting some people to come to him. And those reasons are unassailable in one respect. It's simple, right? It's it's, it's those who believe in him. and And, and yet and yet. We we want to understand, perhaps, or well the fact of the matter is that the Father does explain himself. We sometimes wonder. Okay, so and we talked about this earlier when we were in <clears throat> verses 39 and 40 of chapter 6. Where on the one hand, it's those who the Father grants, who gives to Jesus. And on the other hand, it's those who believe. And it seems like there's a somehow they mesh together, but we're not quite certain. But you know what? The Father's reasons become really clear. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5, verse 37, to see how it's explained here, explained so clearly. John chapter 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. That's so important. The father has testified of him. Remember, we saw that was ultimately through the word of God, through, through what was spoken by the prophets, for example. In fact, that Moses and Abraham looked, saw the fact that, that this son of God would come, that the Messiah would come. The father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Why? You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Verse 39. You search the scriptures. See, people can search the scriptures all they want, but if they don't understand who who, who the scriptures are talking about, right? They search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And what were they doing? Well, they were parsing apart the Word of God, and they were saying, "We see this rule we should come up with here, and that rule we should come up with there, and we're proud of our heritage. You search the scriptures and you think in them you have eternal life, but it's these that testify about me. In other words, the father knew before the fact that Jesus came and preached to the to the to the Jews at Capernaum, he already knew that they had rejected what Moses had said they had rejected. What Abraham had said, the psalmists, the prophets, they were not listening to them either. You were unwilling to come to me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. The father knows that. And you, here's the deal. You were unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you. You do not have the love of God in yourselves. I've come in my father's name, and you did not receive me. So so they already had put themselves, as it were, under judgment. He came in his father's name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they didn't receive him. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? Remember, we saw this as such an such a insightful thing. How can you believe when you receive glory from one? one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. The Father has his reasons and they are unassailable. There are those who are only interested in receiving glory from other people. They dead they do not seek, they do not care about the glory of God. Verse 45 and here we have it. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. It goes back to Moses teaching. In whom you have set your hope. Why? Verse 46. If you believed Moses. You would believe me. So the father already knew. That they didn't believe Moses. So it was a foregone conclusion. That when Jesus comes on the scene. They're not going to believe him either. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe the writings of Moses. How will you believe my words? And my friends. This is a statement that is just as true. Today about Jewish people. The reason. That well one of the one of the indications let me put it this way that they 're not going to believe the words that we preach in the Gospel of Christ is they don 't even believe what Moses writes in, in the first five books of the Bible. so Jesus tells the grumbling disciples in Capernaum that no one can come to him unless it has been granted them by the Father, and clearly because of their own belief they 're grumbling. To them, it has not been granted. He did not grant that they, they could come to Jesus. And that's why they left. Okay, let's go back to John chapter 6, verse 66. John 6, verse 66. Very, very humbling verse when you think about it. Why? Because he's talking about the unbelief of man. You know, the number six is the is a number of one less than seven. Seven, the number of spiritual perfection. Six, the number of man, the flesh. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. Notice it's many. It's his disciples, it's his followers, and they were not walking with him anymore. Well, that was that's what it was to be a disciple. So they weren't, they decided not to be a disciple anymore. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, He's notice he's walking, seeing all these people walk away. Almost everybody. You ever had that experience? Well, I've had that experience <laughs> when I've when I've said something and a lot of people don't accept it. Almost everybody's walking away, right? When, when, when things don't look good for you, you find out who your friends are, because most other people don't want to have anything to do with you. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter spoke up and answered him on behalf of the 12, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. There's the issue what what are Jesus' words? They're words of eternal life. And then he goes on, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And of course, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For Judas, one of the 12, the division, was going to betray him. Verse 66, they're sad words as a result of this, Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Why is it sad? I'll tell you why. Because the way is narrow that leads to life. You see, they were not really walking the road that leads to life because Jesus is that road. And if they believed who Jesus was, they would believe his words. They wouldn't have withdrawn. They wouldn't have walked away. The way is narrow that leads to life And Jesus is that only way. There is no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. But that day, many of the disciples recoiled at the things he said. And only a few remained. And among those few were the 12. whom Jesus had chosen himself and appointed. So Jesus asked that piercing question of them. You do not want to go away also, do you? He, by the way, he didn't ask this because he was feeling down on his luck and wanted to make sure he didn't lose everybody. No, he asked that for their sake. See, see there's, there comes a time when, when you need to speak out, right, and, and, and articulate for your, for your own benefit so that you're crystal clear, that you get it, that you're solid, right? There's times when the Lord will bring things in your life and you, you're like, wait a minute, I've got to tell these people about Jesus. i, I got to correct what they're saying about God. You see, that's for our sake. It's time for us to speak. And then we get clarity, and then we realize I really do believe these things. And that was what this was all about. And notice Peter speaks for the twelve. Now we know that because I want you to see in verse 68, it says Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And look at verse 70. Jesus answered them. See, see, in a sense, Peter was the was the was the was the titular head. What he said went for all of them. So Jesus answered them. So, so Peter is the one who speaks for the 12. He, there's no one else, he says. There's no one else. What is he saying? There's no one else that even compares to you, Lord. And we may not understand each and everything that you say, but we know this much. Your words give us life, and therefore we hang. We may not understand them, but we're hanging on every word that comes from your lips. So what set these 11 apart from the Jews and most of his disciples apart from Judas it's really simple they believed that Jesus was who he said he was they took him at his word and i think we have to ask ourselves are we doing that now it's not an issue of salvation for us but it's an issue again of clarity in a way i hope you do come across a situation this this week where you really have to speak the what you know to be the truth and you'll understand once again wait a minute i really do believe that jesus is the son of god i believe he is who he says he is that that that's that's the issue here and as they kept believing his words they came to know for a certainty that he was the holy one of god and that god the father had sent him from heaven to die for the sins of the world that jesus is who he says he is he's the messiah the Son of God. They believed in him, and now they knew. And now they had that life, that real life, that eternal life. They were walking in it already, and they already had that life abundantly. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that is written in your word, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And we thank you, Father, that you have settled us in here on this tremendous gospel of John and that and that it's just it's a tribute. It's a it's a worshipful book about your son. I mean, thank you that we're able to spend this time and just take it in a little bit at a time and understand it and be our understanding of who your son is and strengthening us to speak to others about him to preach the gospel. We thank you for all those gifts. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Again, yeah, I'd like to remind you that next Sunday, we're going to start gathering in person again. A week from today, Sunday, September 12th. I'm very much looking forward to that. It's been very difficult. I know it has been for many of you not to be gathering together. We're going to do it. And because we will be together, we celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday um, when we're all back together. This Thursday, we'll have our Bible study. It will only be on Skype because it's Sunday. we we'll, We'll be meeting together. I want to, you know, give a little more time for those hospital numbers to continue to come down. And I am confident that they will. The direction is clear. And so this Thursday, Bible study will be on Skype, 630. We pray at the end. and We uh, ask for anything you want us to pray for. We love praying for the things that people in our congregation in particular have asked us to pray for. So please give us your prayer requests. And you can do it on online. Um, please do that. We look forward to seeing new prayers. Um, not, not always what they say, because it, a lot of time, obviously, it's difficult things, but the fact that you understand the power of prayer is what gives us, builds us up and edifies us. All right, remember that um, our giving policy is simple. It's It's the fact that God loves a cheerful giver, that God wants us to give, out of our joy, out of our appreciation, our gratitude, and that He gives us more than adequate if for every good deed that that we are to do, that we are to walk in the deeds that He's given us, and giving us one of them. Um, probably the best way now, if you if you if you can, is online. We also obviously accept checks by mail. Um, we we had an offering box. I don't know we have it now. We'll have it again when we find our new place. Please pray for that. We really, 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 really need prayers so we find the place that the Lord is bringing us to next. And again, the words of life are the truth that we're all born sinners. There's none righteous, not even one. And God sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent him here to die. God in the flesh, he died. He died on the cross. He died for our sins. And we're all born in sin. We're all sinners by birth. He died for us. He died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. Amazing miracle. God's Son, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. And, and it's it's in it's incontrovertible. It, you, it's, you can't, that's the one fact in the in the ancient world that is better documented than any other. Jesus rose from the dead. Whoever believes in this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God the one who died for our sins and is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the father, whoever believes simply believes never perishes, but has eternal life. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right. One more time. We thank the Lord. Father, we thank you once again for, we thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you that we now can be ambassadors and preach the gospel. We thank you, father, that it's the words that are powerful We don't have to conjure up or work ourselves into a lather or anything. It's not about our flesh, not about what we think. It's about the power of your words and that you've given us the tremendous privilege of just speaking your words to this lost uh, and, and dying world. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.